Hello and welcome to Public Health for the People with Dr. Amber. My name is Dr. Amber Schmidt-Key and today we're going to talk about how the new coronavirus vaccines work. But before we begin talking about the science of the new coronavirus vaccines, I want to give a brief summary of how things are going for the United States. You know, this weekend I was listening to um, NPR, I think it was, and they gave a story about how Canada had just passed 500,000 coronavirus infections. And I had to shake my head because, you know, Georgia, one of the states I follow and cover, has been well over 500,000 infections for a while. And when you think about, you know, yes, that's a very different land mass, for example, but, you know, if we adjust for population, the case rate on a cumulative basis for Canada is 1,351 cases per 100,000. And the cumulative case rate for a state like Georgia is is 5,546. So what this means is that the case rate in Georgia is more than three times greater than the Canadian disease rate. You know, really frustrating when you think about how different things could have been, you know, if we'd had a unified public health strategy for this pandemic. So far, we've had over 76 million infections in the United States, and that's five and a half million more than last week. And the virus has killed almost 1.7 million people in the United States. We're just under that. Um, and so, you know, it's important to recognize the toll that this year has had on us, not just on the things that we weren't able able to do because of the inconvenience of a pandemic, but the, the lives lost and the, the quality of life that's been lost for people who are suffering some of the long-term complications of COVID-19. For the cases in the world and where they're most significant in terms of case rate, the top five nations for case rate this week are Lithuania, Liechtenstein, San Marino, Georgia, and Gibraltar. Um, for death rate, you know, the U.S. is ranked number 21 in the world. That's an increase. Last week, we were ranked number 25. And the top five countries for average daily death rate per 100,000 is going to sound a lot similar to that case rate one. It's Slovenia, Liechtenstein, Croatia, Bulgaria, and San Marino. So, you know, as far as the global pandemic goes, the United States is up there in like the second tier of color categories for case rate, but we're staying out of the top five, at least for now. If we look at the United States and you look at, you know, average daily case rate per 100,000, some of the areas of most intense disease right now are the states of Tennessee and California. And more broadly, we're seeing that whereas this fall and winter surge really started in the upper plains and Midwest states, it's been spreading out and down. And really now we're seeing fire burning, so to speak, in the, the Pacific coast, the East coast and the Sun Belt. So again, it's spread out and down. And so, you know, some of the counties of concern are in Georgia and even Kansas isn't completely out of the woods yet. We are seeing hopeful signs on the data. Kansas is the other state that I cover a lot. We're seeing hopeful signs in the data there for Kansas, but we are certainly not out of the woods yet. And when we think about what's going on with flu right now, we are having a comparatively mild season of flu so far. And it's important to remember that flu season is several months long. It's usually from start of November until April. And sometimes we have an, a late peak. Sometimes we have an early peak. Um, but compared to where we were a year ago at this time, we have much less flu right now. And that's really kind of a testament to the work that we've been doing to limit the spread of COVID-19. COVID-19 is more transmissible 
people than influenza. So, you know, the work that we're doing to prevent the spread of COVID is helping us to limit the spread of influenza. And while that has had really dramatic effects on something like influenza, um, you know, we still have some work to do when it comes to COVID-19. But another thing to remember is that, you know, influenza has a, a year long life cycle. It spends the summer months, what would be our summer in the Southern hemisphere, which is winter there. And then it comes to the Northern hemisphere for our winter. And since the Southern hemisphere of the world was apparently able to keep COVID-19 relatively at bay compared to the Northern hemisphere, it's possible that for that same reason, there just isn't as much flu to pass around. And, and not just that, but because of international travel restrictions, there's less international travel from the Southern hemisphere to the Northern one. So again, there's a lot at play here. In addition, the fact that we have you know, a shot for influenza to vaccinate us, whereas we just now got one for COVID-19, you know, there's a lot at play here. And what it just goes to show is that we can limit influenza if we really want to. But, you know, that's a, a discussion for another time. If you haven't already gotten your flu shot, go ahead and do so. It is not too late. Um, any little bit that we can do will help. So today we're going to talk about how the COVID-19 vaccines by Pfizer, BioNTech and Moderna work. Um, and this is going to get deep into the science. We're going to go in and have to really dust the mental cobwebs of what we learned in high school and maybe you took college biology courses. I've taught in those settings and I will just say that I will try to keep things as simple as I can. I recognize that not all of you are biology majors. Okay, so we're going to have to talk a little bit about cell and molecular biology and these are huge fields and we're only really going to scratch the surface of them today because like I said, this is not a biology course. You may know that your body is made up of cells and your cells contain a nucleus. And that nucleus is where your, it's sort of this ball that's inside of the cell. And that is where your DNA is stored. That DNA is the genetic material that you inherited from your parents. And that DNA is the master instruction manual for every protein your body will ever need to make. It's found in every cell of your body, but depending on where you are in the body, only certain genes are activated or turned on. For example, your liver cells don't need to make the proteins that make up the unique structures of your eyeball. And this process of taking the DNA instructions and making proteins from them is called gene expression. But gene expression doesn't go straight from DNA to protein. There's an intermediate biomolecule called mRNA, and the M stands for messenger. RNA is structurally very similar to DNA, but whereas you've seen the DNA molecule sort of represented as a double helix, that twisted ladder, and that twisted ladder provides a lot of structural support. Instead, the mRNA molecule is single-stranded, and it resembles more of a string than a ladder. So you can't climb a string, but you can climb a ladder, for example. And because of this lack of stability, the mRNA molecules are really unstable and are easily degraded. The mRNA is like the Snapchat of a molecular message. It's just a short-lived set of instructions, but the mRNA acts as a middleman of sorts between the master instruction manual, your DNA, and the ribosomes in the cytoplasm of your cells. Now, I just threw two new words at you. Cytoplasm is just the liquid goop stuff that's inside your cells and outside of the nucleus where your DNA is stored. Ribosomes are the protein builders. They are proteins themselves and they build other proteins and they live in that cytoplasm, that goopy material that's outside of the nucleus. What they do is read the temporary RNA message and then use that code to put the right building blocks in order to make the protein of interest from that gene. So just keep in mind a couple things. The master instruction manual, your DNA, and the builders, the ribosomes, are held in different parts of the cells. We're going to come back to that 
that in a minute, but they are sequestered from one another inside of your cells. In the meantime, we just need temporary copies of the instructions so the ribosomes can do their job. And part of that is because the ribosomes are not close to where the DNA instruction manual is. They're in a different part of the cell. And so we need to get them the instructions they need but the DNA can't really leave the nucleus. So the process of making this temporary copy of the mRNA is called transcription. And the process of taking the temporary mRNA message and making protein from it, that action of the ribosome, is called translation. It's called translation because you're moving or converting genetic language into protein language. And the process of going from DNA to RNA to protein is referred to as the central dogma of molecular biology. Every living cell does this process, and it always, always, always proceeds in this order. You can't go backwards through this process and make RNA from protein. And like I said, every living thing goes through this process and never goes backwards. But there are some exceptions with non-living things, such as viruses. You may or may not be aware, but there is a heated debate in molecular biology and and biology in general about whether viruses are truly living things because they cannot replicate on their own. They can't create new copies of themselves without hijacking a living cell to do that work for them. So they're, they're functionally inert until they are inside of a cell. And so there are certain viruses that can convert RNA to DNA, and HIV is a good example. But there's some debate as to, like I said, whether viruses are technically living. And so technically, it is still correct to say that no living thing violates the central dogma, that process of going from DNA to RNA to protein. But in any case, um, SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, cannot do this. And the virus, and, and of course, neither do any of our cells. So when this RNA molecule that's part of the Pfizer-BioNTech and Moderna vaccines enters your body, it cannot go back to DNA. It can only go from RNA to protein. In the past, I've actually worked with RNA when I was in graduate school. It was a big part of my doctoral dissertation. And what I will say is that, you know, like I said, because there's some structural differences between RNA and DNA, it's really unstable. And I can tell you from personal experience that RNA is an absolute pain to work with. It has to be held at just the right temperature, usually very, very cold, and in just the right chemical solution. And it will degrade very rapidly once it's removed from a cell. The cell is where it's happiest and so holding it outside of that space is usually going to lead to degradation. And even inside of a cell, it's a short-lived message anyway. So for example, whenever I was doing experiments with RNA, if I had RNA that I hadn't used within a week's time, it had to be thrown out because by that time it was worthless, even if it was held in cold temperatures. Compare that to working with DNA. Remember, that's the molecule that's double-stranded and more stable. When I would work with DNA, this molecule, once it was isolated from the cell, could be held in a standard refrigerator freezer for months and still be useful. But this helps us to understand why the RNA vaccines from Pfizer-BioNTech and Moderna have a cold chain requirement. Of course, Pfizer requires that ultra cold storage, whereas Moderna, their vaccine is able to be held in a standard refrigerator freezer. But they, they have to be held in these cold temperatures until they're thawed and prepared for administration to the people who are going to receive the vaccine. So when you get your shot, no, it is not at a minus 80 degrees Celsius temperature. It's been thawed to room temperature and diluted before given to you. So just 
keep that in mind. You're not going to get your arm frozen off like my father-in-law asked me last weekend. So um, about the RNA vaccines, I understand this is going to be complicated stuff, but we've set some of the groundwork already in terms of what RNA is and where it comes from. So the RNA vaccines themselves do not contain the virus genome or its spike protein, that thing that protrudes from the virus particle that you see in all the graphics. Instead, they have a piece of RNA, again, that temporary message, that codes for the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein that codes the outside of the viral particle. So no protein, just the RNA is in the vaccine. In the vaccine, those spikes aren't present on the outside of sort of a membrane sort of structure. It's held inside of a pretend virus particle that has a lipid membrane that looks a lot like our cell membranes. So when the vaccine is administered, there actually isn't any virus in it at all, just the short-lived instructions called mRNA for how to make that spike protein. When the vaccine particles arrive at your cell and the cell brings them in, then the RNA is released from the particle and runs into those ribosomes that are in the cytoplasm. And remember, those ribosomes are the protein builders. So ribosomes, they're, they're great at their job, but they don't really discriminate mRNA messages as compared when we are considering are these Amber's mRNAs or vaccines mRNAs, they don't care. They just, they see it and they start building. So as long as they, the mRNA has the right chemical composition at the beginning of the sequence, then the ribosomes are going to use them to make proteins, whatever that mRNA message says. So the ribosomes aren't paying attention, like I said, to what's my mRNA versus the vaccines mRNA. And the spike protein is then produced by the ribosomes in the cytoplasm of the cell and then presented on the membrane of the cell by these like name tag holders, these badge holders that the immune system uses to sort of surveil and, and look for things that don't belong. So from our last talk in the last pod about how the immune system works, every cell in your body has an, a name tag holder, a badge holder. And this shows either your proteins that are called self antigens or something that they found in the cell's cytoplasm. And those would be foreign antigens. So the spike protein that we're producing in the vaccine would be considered a foreign antigen. And if your immune system cells that surveil your body find a name tag or foreign antigen that they don't recognize, then they send out the alert in this recruit other immune system cells so that they can learn about the new threat and develop antibodies and memory against that threat. So the bottom line is that the vaccine is making a temporary short-lived set of instructions for making the virus spike protein and then getting your cells to make that protein temporarily. And this spike protein is a foreign antigen. It has the wrong name tag in my analogy. So your cells show that spike protein to your antibody producing cells. And of course, there are several intermediate steps here that I'm simplifying. And then those antibody producing cells recognize that it's not self antigen and they produce antibodies. Both the mRNA that was in the vaccine and the spike protein we produce from it will degrade over time. They are temporary, but the memory that we produce remains. So I called this vaccine's mRNA like a Snapchat message, but it's also kind of like those messages that you see in the movie or show Mission Impossible, where they say this message will self-destruct in five, four, three, two, one, and and then it's gone. But meanwhile, your, your cells now know what they're supposed to do. So let's address just a couple of the safety myths now that we understand a bit more about how RNA works, how this vaccine works, and this mechanism of action. So one question I get a lot is, can this vaccine give you COVID-19? Absolutely not. And the reason why now that we know is because there's no virus actually in there. It only contains the temporary set of instructions to make just one of those viral proteins. And that viral protein on its own can't really do anything to hurt you. So 
the other question that I get is, can this vaccine alter my DNA? These are, you know, it sounds like a weird concern to to many probably, but it's a legit concern. And I think we should address this. Um, it's highly unlikely that this vaccine is going to do anything to your DNA for two reasons. First of all, your DNA is held in your cell's nucleus. Uh, remember that ball that's inside of the cell. And remember that the mRNA, it's, it's looking for the ribosomes that are in the cytoplasm. And these processes are separate from one another. So the vaccine mRNA has really no reason to enter the nucleus. It doesn't have any purpose there because the ribosomes that translate mRNA into protein are in the cytoplasm, that, that goopy substance that's inside your cells. So in essence, your DNA genome, your master instruction manual, is sequestered away from the action. Uh, generally speaking, the mRNA is made in the nucleus, that process of transcription, and then it leaves the nucleus immediately to be processed by a ribosome. And the RNA really doesn't re-enter the nucleus. So this compartmentalization of the processes makes it very unlikely that the mRNA in the vaccine ever enters the nucleus, and therefore it's really never in close proximity to the genome. But the other thing that kind of protects you in this case is the fact that the cell really has no mechanism by which to convert the vaccine mRNA into DNA and then insert it into your genome. Because remember, your cells follow the central dogma. They go from DNA to RNA to protein, always, always, always in that order, and never reversing. So there's no way for us to go from RNA to DNA. Um, so no, there should be no alteration of your DNA, and there's no possible way that these vaccines from Pfizer-BioNTech and Moderna would give you COVID-19. So I think that is enough. I'm sure your brains all need a break after that trip down biology memory lane. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll continue to talk about the vaccine and safety concerns in upcoming pods. If you'd like to keep in touch, I'm active on Facebook and Twitter. And then also my newsletters are amberschmidtkeyphd.substack.com for the Georgia coverage. For Kansas, it's kansascovid19updates.substack.com. So that's it for this week. Take care, be safe, and be well.